Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Let's face it, the future is now. We're living in a connected cyber society, and we need to stop ignoring it or pretending that it's not affecting us. Join us as we explore how humanity arrived at this current state of digital reality and what it means to live amongst so much technology and data. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. And here we are. Welcome to Redefining Society podcast with me, Marco Ciappelli, on ITSPmagazine.com. And, uh, you know, in this, uh, in this show of mine, I, I'm on other shows as well, but this is really my, my baby where I really talk about stuff that I, I know about, although I never know enough, and I care about quite a bit. Often is uh, the intersection of technology and society and what does it mean all this technology in our life everyday life and for humanity so we get philosophical quite a bit and today i have a feeling we're going to get we're going to get philosophical i assume because we're going to talk about a book that uh, is about liberal arts and uh, i don't know um, a lot of people nowadays when they hear that they kind of uh, cringe or they get excited <laughs> I don't really know why. Maybe our guest can explain that. But I feel like it doesn't have the meaning it used to have before. And uh, there is an entire book about this and about the fact that liberal arts are critical to for our thinking and uh, critical thinking and are being good citizen of some country where we live, hopefully a democracy. So enough with me chatting. This is... Uh, this is about this book and that we're talking with the author, which is Jeff Schuer. I hope I didn't chop the last name and I did a good job. He will let us know. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you, Marco. It's great to be with you. Ah, very excited, very excited. So I, I, I hope I did a decent job in introducing what the topic is going to be, you, but you I'm going to let you introduce yourself. So Thank you. Thank you, Marco. The book is called Inside the Liberal Arts, Critical Thinking and Citizenship. So it tries to square the circle of those things, critical thinking, liberal arts, citizenship. Um, that's a, an ambitious project, which I try to accomplish in under 200 pages. So the readers will decide if I accomplish it. Um, 
it started with the idea that people talk about the liberal arts being conducive to critical thinking, um, but they never showed the goods. They never explained how that works. They never defined the terms liberal arts and critical thinking. So I took a few years to figure that out <laughs> and uh, <laughs> more than a few actually. Um, but I defined the terms, I explained how they, how they interconnect, I explained how uh, imprecise some of the connections are and how solid they are on other levels. It's, uh, it was a big job and, I, uh, and I'm pleased with how it came out and I hope, hope readers will be too. It's, uh, it's taking on the entire uh, liberal arts universe and also providing a kind of a template for students or junior scholars, graduate students, people who want to recapture their liberal arts educations, anyone who considers themselves, say, a lifelong learner, anyone in any of those categories, um, it's for them. It's for anyone who's interested in thinking in general. Um, uh, and there are many such people, believe it or not, even our, in our very uh, anti-intellectual American society. I, you know, Jeff, every time I finish a podcast, I like to say, if this made you think, I did a, good, I did a decent job. So I don't yeah. want to give answers to people. I just want to help people to give perspectives different yes. angles and then think on their own they need to yeah you can't force not them to think so as they yeah. say you can bring the you can bring the horse to the pound but you can't force it right. To right let me let me ask you this uh, just so that i'm assuming everybody knows what liberal arts are but at the same time they have become the word liberal such a political yes um, concept that I think it's kind of not clear anymore. So how, right. how would you define what is liberal uh, art? Okay. Uh, I would begin by saying it's an unfortunate term for something that doesn't have another convenient term for it. Um, we could call it critical inquiry, but the term liberal arts has stubbornly uh, persisted over the centuries and even the millennia. It started in your home country in ancient classical Rome, where the term artis liberalis in Latin meant the skills, not the arts, but the skills of a free citizen of the Roman Republic. Um, so um, it didn't really mean anything connected with arts as we know it or with liberal as we know it in the ideological sense of liberal. It meant uh, skills for citizenship. And the miracle is uh, it still means that. It still means that. Although the, the, the idea of the liberal arts has gone through a long historical trajectory, it has expanded in, in many places. And I would also suggest it really starts um, not to take anything away from classical Rome. It really starts in ancient Greece with the uh, first attempts at philosophy and at rationality uh, by Plato, Aristotle, and others. Um, they devised the most basic questions. What is nature? What is value? What is thinking? What is philosophy? What are ideas? Um, what is the mind? All of that. Uh, what is causality, for example? Um, they... Um, 
put these ideas on the table and they've evolved uh, since then. Many of them are still on the table. Um, some of them are very contestable still. Um, but um, over the course of history, the liberal arts started with the trivium and the quadrivium, the uh, grammar, logic, and rhetoric, and then it included music, astronomy, and so on. And now, <clears throat> because it's the nature of philosophy to ask general questions, and um, it, it uh, has spawned uh, other questions that have created their own disciplines whether it's economics or sociology or psychology or linguistics or many, many other liberal arts fields, not every field, but many of them come straight out of philosophy because philosophy asks questions that it could not answer without specific lines of empirical research. So mm. we still have the liberal arts today um, and it's still ultimately about citizenship, I would argue, only about citizenship, but only once you've defined what you mean by that. Well, how about we do that? Okay. Uh, what is a good citizen or what makes a non-good citizen? Okay. Committing a crime is not a good way to be a citizen. Let's start that, with that. That I could have guessed, yes. Yeah. Um, but there are many ways and different levels and, uh, on which one can be a good citizen. Uh, I define divide citizen into three main categories. There's a civic category, which is how we uh, function as when we vote, when we serve on jury duty, on juries, when we do anything to change or, or keep the same, the society we live in. Uh, all citizenship is transactions between the individual and the community in which there's a two-way transaction. You give something, you get something back. You obey the laws, you get the benefits of the laws and so on, of other people obeying the laws. And also so, known as the social contract. Yes, the social contract. So there's the civic side of it, which is the one that's most obvious to people. There's also an economic side. Everything we do as producers, as consumers, um, that uh, affects ourselves and others, our own livelihood and the prosperity of society. I call that economic citizenship. And then finally, there's cultural citizenship, uh, which is all of the various conversations we have uh, about our culture, about meaning and value in our culture and what we like and what we stand for and whom we affiliate with and all of that, that, that creates conversations and that most of that or much of that is in the arts. Um, but I would argue that uh, sports is a locus for, for that too. Religion is a locus for that too. Um, all kinds of things that we voluntarily uh, do, our hobbies, anything that takes us outside, outside of the home that involves interactions with other people's, uh, people is a kind of cultural citizenship. Well, it all makes sense to me, especially when you live in a democracy where you do need to be active, because if you're not, if you don't use that civic right that you have, yeah. then you may end up losing it. Now, I'm not right. going to go political on this, but if we look back, as you mentioned, to, you know, even the, the meaning and the, the reason why philosophers were very involved in the political life of the antique uh, democracies in, in in Greece and so forth, 
So I guess mm. that when you decide to write a book like this is because you see the need for it, right? Yes. So what you, what's your position then on, I'm assuming that you see the lack of this. Uh, I saw, thinking. well, there's always, you always need more critical thinking. There's been a yes. lot of, <laughs> there's, there's been a lot of work on it. We didn't need another book necessarily on critical thinking per se. There are many of them, good ones. And similarly, there are a lot of very good work, books on the liberal arts, a lot of good books on citizenship, but none that syn sort of synoptically put them together and create a single horizon for the whole. And that's what I was trying to do, answering the question, how does how do liberal arts promote critical thinking and how do they together promote citizenship? So uh, I saw the need for it. I also was ready for something new after writing two books on media and politics. And at the time I started this, um, goes back almost 10 years, but um, the media landscape was becoming very confusing and uh, I was too old to understand it. So uh, I decided I would, I would sort of return to my roots, which are in philosophy. I'm always interested in media as well, but um, my academic roots are in philosophy. And, and, and this question just grabbed me um, and, and became a, a consuming um, interest for many years. Yeah, it's a complicated conversation. I can kind of... Uh think about that when social media happened it was a big change the internet yeah. definitely was a big change and i remember my days studying political science and information we talked about before the internet became commercial you know you need to read three newspaper every day at least yeah. one from the left one from the middle yeah. one from the right and make up your own mind yeah. which is very much critical thinking I, yes. I i believe and now we're just bombarded by who knows there's no filters yeah. and that may be a conversation for another time but maybe of course they are connected i mean i can totally see the connection yeah. between those books but the role of education in these is is it a is the school system that didn't keep up with these changes what what went wrong maybe that's yeah. Almost too big a question for me to answer, Marco. Um, take take one piece of it. <laughs> one piece of it. I think the ultimate aims of education and the aims of media haven't changed. It's to inform and enlighten people and to give them context and understanding so they can function as citizens. And in fact, I think the connections between media and education are much stronger than most people realize. Uh, media is adult education, really. Um, and under education is preparing people to be adult consumers, adult citizens, and so on. Um, so they're joined at the hip, really. Um, and the ultimate aims are the same. It's the, it's the means by which we achieve them that have changed with the internet and social media. Um, it's how we get informed. It's the dangers we face in trying to get informed of fake news and deep fakes and you know all of that, um, which uh, I don't particularly enjoy wading into, but I recognize it's a very, 
very big problem and again, about to get much bigger with AI. Um, yeah, you want to so, go there? Not really. <laughs> not really. Uh, okay. I will. We'll I draw will a line if you there. want. No, I will, no, 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 no. That's okay. Too big of an. Maybe another conversation we can have on <laughs> yeah. that. But there's definitely that's what is coming. But let let's stay to what it is, mm -hmm. right? So but you ask um, you ask why education has been declining yeah. in America, mm -hmm. and yeah, I think it's 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 a broad cultural phenomenon that started with electronic media, started with radio and television, really, and people reading less and talking to each other less. That's a key part of it, you know. When we talk to each other on the internet or uh, through social media, it's a different kind of face-to-face -face interaction. It's not genuinely face-to-face. -face. And I think we suffer unconsciously from too much interaction on that level and not enough on the human level uh, where we really talk and really listen and, and something really comes out of it. So much, as you know, of social media is, is just... Um, uh, us um, cowering under a wave of data and information and stimuli coming at us uh, that don't really improve us. So, so, so when when I think about critical thinking, the word critical, right? It's not mm -hmm. that have a negative connotation. When we think about you know a food critic or or yeah. a restaurant or a, like not a, at all a movie, but it's not. It's actually constructive. Usually. And in fact, uh, food and movie critics have a constructive role too. It includes <laughs> exactly. being negative and it includes being positive. So, mm -hmm. uh, no, critical thinking is really, <coughs> excuse me, uh, is really rational thinking. There isn't much difference, right. if any. If any, right. um, It's rational thinking about not how to uh, be a hunter-gatherer or achieve something specific in the world, but it's a, it's about ideas and it's about how we relate to each other, things like that. It's, so, it's following rules and reasons, basically. So I keep thinking of what you said in terms of um, online, social media relationship. You know, we spent the past three years of the pandemic working from home, learning from home. We are recording right now on yeah. the platform that we are there. Mm -hmm. So, but, but you said that it has a different level of, of relationship, of uh, communication, in, interaction, let's say. Am I getting that right that, on your opinion, it's more superficial, the kind of I relationship? I think so. Okay. I think so. Can, can you explain that better? It's not something I, I've been studying necessarily, but it's that my overall sense is that when we're in a room with people live, more learning takes place and more teaching takes place than when we're looking at a screen, mm. except for this show. <laughs> except for the people in the room right now. Right. Or in the virtual room. So are we too late? I mean, is that a way to, uh, I mean, it's really well, democracy, critical thinking. We're not too late. We're not too late in the sense that we have no choice. We can't go back. We have to have a democracy under these conditions. That may mean regulating AI. And I think that's probably a very important thing to do. Um, it may mean limiting certain ways in which we use TikTok or whatever, 
um, without the sort of political grandstanding that the governor of Montana has been doing uh, just to make him look anti-Chinese. It's serious, useful regulation uh, without over-regulation to keep, keep things on there on the rails and, and to keep our discourse from, from getting too uh, crazy. Um, and to protect us from, from the worst possible, uh, you know, uh, predations of electronic media uh, of AI, uh, like fake, fake, fake uh, politician voices, you know, to use against your opponent to make it sound like they're saying something which they're not. Things like that. Uh, we have to somehow get that under control, or it's hopeless for democracy. It's like the worst uh, version of uh, Orwell, nineteen eighty-four, yes. when you can really alterate, you know, the 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 news yeah. and the the past, the present, and yeah. the future. Well, I use but, the, the example of Orwell to 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 describe the value of the liberal arts because you do not read Orwell in a business school class or in a computer science class, which is not to say that we don't need STEM learning too. It's very important but we need to supplement it with the liberal arts and with books like 1984, which show us what uh, evils uh, human nature is capable of and what we should be trying to make happen and prevent from happening. Hmm. It's so like th this brings me, this brings me to, to, to this, uh, your view, and I am quite critic about the, the education system. I think it's a little, obsolete in general mm -hmm. i mean it's almost like technology is about practicality and and stem as you mentioned yeah but that's probably what have been happening and in the in the educational system and i believe that's true in almost every country in the world as far as i yeah. know and i'm not an expert but i can We're tell also you not getting opinion, it we're also not getting good enough teachers because we're not as a society willing to pay them what they're worth. And, and I, I would love to, to go there because my last comment before I, I give it back to you is that with the job that I do, I talk to a lot of people that are futurists, technologists, but I talk to a lot of philosophers because there's never been, in my opinion, at least since when I'm alive, such a strong relationship between technology, understanding who we are, and the fact that we talk about ethics way more than we've ever talked, I think, in the, in the common conversation or the news like we're doing now. I mean, ethics for AI is almost like a way to learn ourselves, learn about yeah. who we are. So, but at the same time, as you said, we're not paying enough the teacher to promote this liberal thinking, whatever that means. So well, how can we fix that? Let's say small d democratic thinking. I'll, I'll give you mm -hmm. one example. We got to teach more civics in K-12, I mean, in high school. Um, quite apart from the value the liberal arts may uh, lend to a, uh, an education for citizenship. Every American has to learn how their government works. That should, 
that should not even be debatable. Um, and and that means it sh there should be a civic sec section on the SAT test and the ACT test and so on, so that schools are forced to teach it. That's one way to start. It's such a big systemic problem, Marco, you can't only address it from one entry point, but that's one, I would say. And another is to encourage uh, STEM students to, to have more, to take more liberal arts courses. Um, and then there's a whole big societal problem of how we got to the point where we're divided, not so much on left, right political lines, but on uh, educated versus less educated lines. And, and the right has convinced its base that their enemy, their, the elites that are, that are oppressing them are the educated people in this country, as opposed to the truly powerful people like uh, corporations and uh, major organizations. They've, they've uh, conned their, their uh, followers in, into believing that. And it's really tragic because if, as long as, as soon as you start demonizing education, democracy's in trouble. True to that. I mean, if you control, if you keep people, I don't, I don't want to go back to, you mentioned, uh, you know, the Roman Empire a few times, but it makes me think about Panem and Circenses, where you give them bread and circus, mm -hmm. and they're not going to put their mouth into the politics of the city. Now, that's an extreme. I don't even know how ultimately true that is, but let's assume it is. It's it's kind of what we're facing nowadays, you no know? entertainment, yeah. uh, commercial capitalism, yes. and and exactly. I don't care who is out there making the rules or what the rules. And this is it. And yes, and this isn't new. I mean, Neil Postman wrote about this in the 1980s and 90s. He wrote a great book called "Amusing Ourselves to Death," um, and a number <laughs> yeah. of another of a, other prescient books that I think preceded the internet, um, but identified all of these problems that interfere with learning and, and interfere with uh, co cohesion, citizenship, uh, communities, communities. You know, language, using language is a form of community. Um, rationality is a form of community. It's agreeing it's a kind of language for thinking that enables us to agree about certain things. Um, I say I'm doing this because of that. I say I'm acting this way because of that rule or that idea or that guideline. Um, it's a way of coming together. It's not a way of separating us uh, as our values sometimes do separate us and have to separate us, but um, it's a common ground. Um, and, uh, we're losing some of that in the uh, in the era of electronic communication. And Postman was one of the first. Um, Jerry Mander was another when he wrote four arguments against uh, television, uh, four arguments for the elimination of television. Um, it, uh, not a serious title, but a very serious book. And uh, so I'm not the first to be on that bandwagon. No, I, I can see a lot of the, and, and share a lot of your thoughts 
maybe I'm more positive in my thinking with mm-hmm. with technology because it's my uh, you know my job and and looking yeah. ahead, but also because I need to stay a little positive about yeah. things uh, when I balance dystopia and utopia. But you know, it's there. You know, it's a possibility. And I'm certainly and not think, an anti-tech person. No, no, um, I, I understand that. But you're raising. I think technology the- may end up saving us from the predations of technology. Actually, when it comes to for example, uh, global warming. I don't think we have the political will to make the sacrifices it will require, but I think the technology may get us out of it if we're mm. lucky, if we're lucky. Yeah. But I always go back to uh, something Henry David Thoreau said in the 19th century. He said, uh, our machines are but, uh, what did he say, uh, perf- uh, perfect means to imperfect ends. Yes. Uh, so we still have to argue about our ends and which ends we're going to pursue. Uh, the, he said, it improved means to an unimproved ends, if I may correct that. Um, we still have to improve our ends, and that's what democratic conversations are about. But technology will always improve our means, whether we like it or not. Um, and every invention we can possibly achieve is going to be used in some way for good or for ill. Mm-hmm. Well, it's tool in the end. That's that's the point. Listen, as we wrap this conversation, which I could have with you sitting with a coffee probably for hours, because I, you know, I, I have many think a lot of thinking of of the things you're discussing. I would like to wrap it up with, with two things. One, um, and you mentioned at the beginning, who's this book? For. Because I, I think as a writer, you always have your audience there. And you kind of mentioned yes. it, but I'd like you to go a little bit more in that. Because sure. I know that part of it is uh, students and the new generation, the upcoming, the new, the, the next future generation. Some advices maybe on how to think more critically or why they should embrace liberal arts. So kind of like a, a manifesto. Yes. Well, if you can't sell citizenship and democratic citizenship, you shouldn't be trying to sell anything <laughs> because it's hopeless. I, I, I wrote the book to resolve the questions in my mind and to provide a template for people who are looking either going into the liberal arts or involved in the liberal arts uh, as students or graduate students or as educators, deans, uh, anybody anybody making decisions about a higher education um, and try to figure out these questions of critical thinking and citizenship and, and what the liberal arts are. I think I succeed, frankly, in, in, inside the liberal arts, uh, in, at least on my own terms. And uh, I certainly welcome any, any um, arguments or feedback from, from your viewers, listeners, readers. Uh, But that's the general idea. It's to give people sort of a handbook on critical thinking that's also a a model of what the liberal arts are all about and why. Well, that sounds, again, you say it took you two years, probably on top of those two years, even more than two, your entire life thinking about it. Yes. (laughs) And I want to make a quick plug for one of my favorite authors whom you will know. Norberto Bobbio is one of my heroes 
one of my great heroes as an Italian writer on politics and political theorist. Very good, very good. Thank you for for doing that for the for the country. Uh, I, again, I think it's an important book. I I've read the summary and few excerpt, but it's definitely something that I am interested in, and I think it should be honestly read by by anyone. So. Again, this is Inside the Liberal Arts, Critical Thinking and Citizenship. We will have links to connect with you, whatever you want to share for people to connect with you, to your website, to where the book can be found. And again, Great. as you said, and I said at the beginning too, my goal, and it sounds also your goal, is to make people think. So if you want to think a little bit, if you want to read, have an open mind, forget Here's the your politics. Chance. Here's your chance. Very well said. Very well said, Jeff. I want to thank you again um, for people uh, watching the video. Uh, glad you stick around. For people maybe driving in the car, walking the dogs, and just listen to the audiobook. I hope you got something out of it. And feel free to comment, share, subscribe, get the word going. We need to think everybody a little bit more. Jeff, thank you very much. Thank you, Marco. Great to be with you. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.